In AD 122, the world's most powerful man arrived on the banks of the Tyne. The river, which flows through what today is the city of Newcastle, was the most northerly point that had ever been visited by a Roman emperor. Below it stretched lowland Britain, the fertile southern half of the island, which over the course of the previous 80 years had been conquered, pacified and tamed by the legions. Beyond it lay the wilds of the north, lands too savage and poverty-stricken to merit conquest. Such, at any rate, was the judgment of the visiting Caesar. Publius Aelius Hadrianus, Hadrian, was a man well qualified to distinguish between civilization and barbarism. He had studied with philosophers and ridden to war against headhunters, lived both in Athens and on an island in the Danube. Prior to his arrival in Britain, he had been on a tour of military bases along the Rhine and given orders for a great palisade to be built beyond the river's eastern bank. Now, standing beside the grey waters of the Tyne, Hadrian had plans for an even more formidable marvel of engineering. The boldness of the project was evident from the very presence of Caesar in Britain. It was not only his legions who needed squaring, so too did the gods. Sacrifices had to be made, both to the ocean, that immense and fearsome expanse of water in which Britain was set, and to the Tyne itself. Hadrian, a man punctilious in his dealings with the supernatural, knew better than to commission a bridge without assuaging the spirit of the divine that was manifest in every river. Pons Aelius, the structure was named, Hadrian's Bridge. This, for an obscure spot on the margins of the world, was a signal honour. Only bridges in Rome were normally named after emperors. In due course, a decade later, when Hadrian came to commission a huge mausoleum for himself on the far bank of the Tiber and wished to provide ready access to it from the capital, Pons Aelius was the obvious, the only name for the resulting structure. There were now, with its completion, two very different bridges bearing the imprimatur of Hadrian's favour. The result, upon the distant outpost in Britain, was the bestowal of an even more solemn dignity. It was not just the bridge over the Tyne that was called Pons Aelius, but the fort that had been constructed on the river's northern bank. This fort, in turn, was only one of a number of military encampments stretching in a direct line from one shore of the ocean to the other. Joining them, and running for 80 miles, was a wall fashioned largely out of stone. Behind the wall ran a metalled road. Behind the road ran a ditch, dug so deep that it could only be scaled with ladders. Infrastructure of such an order, built on such a scale, was as awesome a memorial to Hadrian as anything he had sponsored in Rome. It proclaimed a degree of martial effort and a capacity for intimidation that had no rival anywhere. The emperor's visit to the Tyne had been fleeting, the merest waystop, but he had left behind him the unmistakable stamp of a superpower. Not that many Romans ever saw the wall. So distant was it from all that made for civilization, trade, seafaring, agriculture, metallurgy, all the crafts that exist or have ever existed, everything that is manufactured or grows from the earth, that it tended to serve them as at best a rumour. In time, they would come to forget that it was Hadrian who had built it at all. 
For a millennium and more after the collapse of Roman rule in Britain, its construction was attributed to another, later Caesar. And only in the mid-19th century was the wall conclusively proven to have been the work of Hadrian. Since then, thanks to the labours of generations of archaeologists, epigraphers and historians, our knowledge of how and by whom it was built has improved immeasurably. The study of Hadrian's wall is now, in the words of one scholar, littered with the bones of discarded hypotheses. Meanwhile, along its spectacular central reach, a section which in 1600 had been so infested by bandits that the antiquarian William Camden was forced to omit it altogether from his tour, visitors today are greeted by interpretative signs, gift shops and toilet facilities. Even so, a sense of the mysterious has not been banished entirely from Hadrian's Wall. In 